this episode will be forever known as the most chaotic nightmare of an episode this has not been fun to record i hate this podcast now i don't think i'll ever record one again um yeah go fuck G'day, mates. Well, look, Alistair, I mean, Thresholds, they were the baby of Sorare. And, I mean, Sorare has thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Thresholds, it's all anyone can talk about. Twitter is ablaze. People are panicking. I mean, look, I don't mind the drama. I'm sitting back with my popcorn, taking it all in. Nom, nom, nom. Um, slightly terrified, slightly, you know, amused at what's happening. Um, but... Given last week, you know, I said I was going to dip my toes back into the water and, and the way through was going to be through the vessel that is Thresholds. <laughs> no. Um, now that could all be gone in two weeks, um, which is mildly concerning, so much so that we've decided that bringing alcoholic drinks onto the platform, onto the podcast is now acceptable. Um, help us deal with the stress. Um, I've got a nice little hard solo to get me through these threshold scaries, as they say. What have you got, Alistair, to um, to keep you calm? Uh, I've made a special cocktail, particularly uh, specifically for this podcast. It is a uh, Sazerac, um, which is, I believe, uh, from the deep south. Uh, it's quite nice. It's kind of just like a sugary old-fashioned um, bit of whiskey, bit of Pernod. I don't know. It's it's fancy. Yeah. I'm fancy. I'm better than you. Um, it's nice. I mean, we don't, we usually kind of record at random times depending on our work schedules. So it's nice for it to fall at a 5 PM slot so we can, you know, get sozzled midway through the, uh, through the pod. Five minutes later. Um, but yeah, look, it's, um, thresholds. Are they going to go? Are they going to stay? Everyone's talking about it. It's the hot topic around town. Um, at the risk of uh, kind of being too much of an echo chamber, I don't, we're not going to dwell too much on the whole threshold thing. Sure about that? I think it's been quite interesting to see, you know, Nicholas puts out a tweet and then all of a sudden the entire community just decides that that means that thresholds are going and that removing thresholds is the way forward for Sorare and everyone's got their 42-page manifesto about how to fix Sorare. Um, some of, some ideas are great. Some ideas are terrible. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think we really know whether what's going to happen. So I personally think thresholds will stay in some form, if not just the same form. Um, but certainly I think people kind of realize that something has to change. No, I want, I want definitive statements. I want outlandish remarks. Are they staying exactly as they are or are they going Alistair? I want you to cause panic. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll cause panic. Um, well, I must say, my opinion on it, my two cents, is that I initially was kind of terrified at the prospect of them taking thresholds away, purely because, you know, as everyone out there might know, a big part of my strategy change over the last year was to sell all of my cards and re-strategize by buying a bunch of super rares with the intention of, not playing only cap 240 but certainly you know prioritizing the the 240 threshold because you know 200 us dollars a week potentially twice a week that's a pretty juicy carrot to dangle so if they were to take that away 
that would be a bit of a kick. Um, but I am coming around to the the idea that I guess the, the most compelling argument for me is the fact that by making the threshold so appealing, it 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 did mean that people were focusing on the kind of middle to poor level players because they were affordable and you could just use them to hit the threshold. Any good players couldn't fit in your threshold team. So the good players started to lose value because people weren't incentivized to go out and buy the best so they could compete for the top prizes. I think that's a combination of the prizes at the top not necessarily being that great anymore and also the fact that because prices on those top cards went down, it became more affordable. All of a sudden, everyone's got the best players and it's just impossible to win. Now, I remember a time not too long ago where... The threshold was like nice. It was like, yep, get a threshold. But people's priority was not winning the threshold. I personally didn't care about the threshold. Back when it was just the rare threshold, I was trying to win cards because the cards had value and there was the rewards are worth winning. I th- I'd just throw my scraps in a threshold team. If I got the threshold, great. If not, I really didn't care. So there's been something that's changed where all of a sudden people are like, I need to just win the threshold and that's all I care about. Yeah, I think, does it not make you concerned about this? I mean, we've always said you can't plan ahead in Sarare. Mm. Never been more true. Um, I think it is interesting how the rare thresholds and super rare thresholds have changed in importance and relevance depending on the platform. Honestly, I think very concerning if they got rid of thresholds or changed it, to be honest. Even if they changed it, I'd be very, very concerned given the fact that that's the only stable thing in Sarare at the moment, the only thing that we can work towards and know is going to give us a bit of safety, I've always been a bit like, oh, back to doing thresholds. Because remember, like you said, back in the day, thresholds were just an extra bonus, you know, throw them into a lineup, see what happens. But now it's like the the best way to get a return on investment. Mm, mm. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. And that's, that's, that is the problem. It. Sarare has lost that jackpot element of like, it used to be, I remember when I first signed up to Sarare, I remember telling my then girlfriend, now wife, hey, I've just started playing this game. And like, if things were to go well for me, I could win an Mbappe, which is worth like $60,000. Like that, that was very appealing. The idea of like trying to win was what everyone was, was you know, that was the carrot. And the threshold was just a nice thing. I think it also, we touched on this last week, the whole like crypto market, win it, the fact that you could win ETH every week was appealing. It was like, yeah, you can just basically like, you play this game and you can win ETH pretty regularly. And obviously ETH was the hot thing. So that's a good thing to have, but it certainly wasn't everyone's priority. So going back to what, you know, your, why do you why do you think it would be a bad thing if they got rid of threshold? What do you think would happen? So change of plans. Um... <laughs> Simon's in a cupboard. Simon's in a cupboard. Now, a um, few technical issues um, forcing me into a vacant room in the house <laughs> that we are currently moving out of. Um, so I find myself in this bare and barren place, staring directly into the sun. Um, yep. Hoping 
that things work a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I believe um I think okay. Basically, I was saying we weren't going to talk about the two forty threshold being taken away, and now we're talking about it. But sure about that? Just quickly, I've kind of made my statement that. I actually think it would be a good thing, but that's coming from my gallery where I have some good quality cards and I do think that the Sorare platform needs to have... The best players need to be expensive. I think that is important because people are just buying shit cards and and leeching the threshold and that's not good. Now, from your perspective, yeah. obviously you're looking to buy back in <laughs> to to build a threshold team. If they were to take it away, what? how would you feel? Well, I think this comes back to the fact I would feel awful, but I definitely understand your point and agree with it that you've got to start targeting the big spenders. We've got limiteds there if people want to save money because at the end of the day, the rare threshold team that I was going to put in, what was the main thing I was saying? Oh, it's cheap. I can put it together for not many ETH. Like it's, it's nice and easy. And those big whales that run threshold teams they necessarily haven't had to ever reinvest into the platform in order in order to fund that team i can guarantee you like we both have we've reinvested onto the platform to buy better players because the guys we got fell out of form we wanted the top hot property to be fair rare thresholds you know it's it's an expense that Sorare has to hit every week so from a money point i kind of get it so what i'm saying is it deeply affects a, a person like me, majorly. But I don't think I'm the people that Sarah should be worrying about. I kind of agree with your point. So I totally agree with that. And I think, I can't remember what happened. There was something, oh, that's right. When they changed the threshold initially, they changed it from, remember, so once upon a time, you could just put a, an uncapped team into All-Star Rare. And if you hit, 250 points you got the threshold if you didn't you got the lower threshold so it was just easy money they changed it everyone cracked the shits and i remember making the point like this will just get rid of the people that sarad doesn't need it's not good for the platform so i think you're right um i think they'll keep some form of threshold i think there'll be something where you can still earn ETH and beat the game, but it may be different and it may not be as easy as it is now. Um, I personally just think all that, I, I think it would be a massive help to the platform if they just put bigger pri cash prizes into the, the different regions so people are incentivized to actually go out, buy the best players, and, and win. You know, if there was a $10,000 prize for All-Star Rare every week, people would go out and spend money. All of a sudden, your, your Joey Veermans, your you know, Mbappes, your Trent Alexander-Arnolds, they would be valuable again because people have got that like jackpot mentality. And I think there's still a way for them to do it where people like you can still have something to play for uh, without kind of like, yeah, killing the value of high-value cards. I know we said we weren't, we weren't going to talk about it, but we're suddenly getting into a big discussion. But, I, but, okay, but then that's a good point. Like the Joey Veermans, they keep going up in value. That's good. But now I think about it, though. Is that the issue that Sorare have run into where the high-profile cards have gone up considerably in value, 
But then at the end of the day, only a certain amount of people can buy those cards and they're trying to go global. They're trying to grow their user base. How do you do that if there's only, it's only, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I quite liked um, Scosmo's idea of the, like the divisions where you kind of get promoted and relegated depending on how well you're doing. And obviously if you buy better cards, you can move up the divisions and play for better prizes. But yeah, I mean, I don't really have the answers. I mean, from an economics point of view, I don't, I don't really understand. I don't understand nothing. We don't know where, how much it would affect Sorare to remove thresholds or how much it would affect the market if they were to remove thresholds. I'm sure there'd be a lot of people that would leave if they removed thresholds, but I'm at me sitting where I am now, I'd kind of be like, great, no worries, less competition, I'm good. I'm very bullish, as we've already discussed. But what about what? What about all your super rares that are specifically for two forty? I, I don't have any that are specifically for two forty. My oh, my, stra- my my strategy has always been try and buy some good super rares, win in like all star win in yep. all star super rare, win in cap two seventy or whatever I can put them in, yeah, and then use Get the rewards, rewards yep. to play cap two forty. Yes, okay, okay. rewards, yes. and it has worked okay. out brilliantly for me. So yes, oh, okay. What are you going to yeah. do with what are you okay? What are you going to do with those shitty rewards then, Alster? Well, this is where I think you can still have a cap mode, Simon, before yeah. you get all smart ass on me. <laughs> you can still have a cap mode, and you can still have good rewards in it. You can still have cash rewards, but maybe not just a threshold where that's the goal. Yeah, I think we also need to not look at it though as, as if Serrera handing out money every week literally might be a little bit different now the cash wallet because they're technically giving out cash but unless people take them off take that immediately off the platform it's kind of just like cycling back through the business right if people aren't look think about it you've won god knows how many thresholds how much have you actually taken off into physical so how much money physical money have they had to give out through the thresholds so I would, could you uh, yeah. say that the, the thresholds keep stimulating the market? And, you know, I know when I was shit at Serenia, it was the only reason I could buy new cards is because I kept getting a few fresh thresholds here and there. Yeah, put it this way. I have certainly, I have deposited more money than I've won in thresholds. So maybe the thresholds, maybe the ROI from Serenia's point of view on thresholds has been pretty good. And I'd say it probably has. And I think that has been, I think thresholds has been the thing that, people have signed up to Sorare for since Sorare has begun and then winning and kind of trying to win better cards and, and progress and get in and, and win higher rewards in the, in the regions and stuff is what has kept people in Sorare. And I think what has happened is the, sh- the focus has now shifted back to people prioritizing 240 and therefore they're only spending their money on kind of mediocre cards I sorry, keep going. <laughs> all good. It's all good. <sighs> yeah, okay. Oh my god, this is I'm gonna be editing for years. For years and years. <laughs> okay. Update for everyone. This conversation might feel a little stunted. And it's because we keep having to break because Simon's having a meltdown in Melbourne right now. 
It's hot. It's the middle of summer. Simon's changed to a room he's not usually in. You may have noticed that his shade of his skin tone has gone from a lovely, pale, slightly olive brown, whitey kind of color to like a bright beetroot red. Um, and you might notice that you can start to see the outline of his nipples ever so slightly, and it will probably get more pronounced as the podcast goes on. He's sweating his dick off. And every time I try and start making a point, he's like, <laughs> he's having a panic attack. So we're going to soldier on for you guys at home. I'm going to have to edit this for hours and hours later on. But just be, just know that if it sounds weird and you're like, well, this is, this conversation's odd. Something's not quite right. It's because we keep having to stop because Simon's about to pass out, but he's going to soldier on for you at home. So I hope you're yeah. happy. For the love of the pod, baby. That's For the love of rolling. the pod. Okay. Let's keep talking about the thing we weren't going to talk about. <laughs> sure about that? <laughs> okay. Sounds good. It's hard. I, because we weren't going to talk about it, I haven't really, like, mustered my thoughts. But I think my thoughts are... <laughs> there you go. I think my thoughts... Sometimes I'll start a sentence, and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. People's priorities have 100% changed to focusing on the thresholds. I think in rare and limited, I don't think that's necessarily, well, it's hard for me to say that that's necessarily like warranted. In super rare and unique, you can certainly make the case of like, that is a pretty good ROI opportunity and you should really go for that. And I think in super rare and unique, it does make sense because it has given utility to shit super rares and shit uniques that didn't exist. But let's not talk about the whales because fuck them they're whales they'll be right things will work out i think there's a i think there's a snippet of you like last week being like we're all we ought to defend the whales you know i love the whales but for this conversation fuck them we okay. uh, let's talk about you the whole this this podcast was about you dipping your toe back into the rare market you're on the edge we had we talked you back from the edge you're back now you're ready to invest and you wanted to go into 240, but that might be that. Well, it could be going away, but there's absolutely no reason to think that it would be going away because Sorero have never, well, they haven't said recently that they're taking it away. We've all just decided as a community that it's going. And we're talking about the pros and cons of that. I think, okay, I think we can actually move on from this topic, Simon, because the purpose of today's podcast was to talk about buying you a threshold team. And we can talk about the the kind of tips and tricks and rules as to how to be successful in that. But the other part of the conversation that I really wanted to focus on was how to like so rare proof your gallery. If you're buying cards for the first time, how can you, because both of us have been victims of like buying cards for a certain reason, a certain strategy and having everything change because so rare just like move the goalposts. So regardless of thresholds, I still think you can buy players that even if thresholds go away, you're not going to just be like left in the dust. Yeah, and now like I can, a base now, to build up. Yeah, now I can understand that your concern is that if you buy plat cards and they take away the threshold, that you'll be just left with nothing and that you're not going to be able to compete with the whales. And that's fair enough. That's a pretty valid concern. And I'm sure that's the concern of a lot of people. And when people ask on Twitter, like, oh, if they take away the thresholds, what will you do? People are saying, 
I'll leave because if it's not for the thresholds, I have nothing to compete for. I'm not going to win. It goes back to like you competing in All Star Rare when you first started, and it was like a, a, the very best of weeks was you winning a tier five. You were like, "Yes, I won a tier five. and that's you know that's not sustainable either. So here's my hot take. I think if Sarah take away thresholds, they will know that they're not going to just like be like, right, try and win All Star Rare, go for it. I think they are going to have something in place where people like yourself, people on a lower budget can still play for something, but not necessarily, it may not necessarily take the shape of, you know, weekly thresholds that they pay out. I, again, I, they might do that. I think they'll, I think they'll keep them. I think they can afford to keep them, but yeah, go on. In, in my very uneducated opinion, I have two words, progress bar. Okay. Why do you have to bring that up? It's if you're going to get rid of thresholds, if you're going to get rid of thresholds, progress bars got to be the little avenue to, I don't hate the idea of playing. And if you do really, really well on a consistent basis over a month or whatever it is, you can potentially win some cards. But if not, you've got the safety blanket of a bit of ETH or a bit of cash to soften the blow because I've always said the hardest part about Sorare is if you are just trying to win and you have a couple of bad weeks, it's a very like isolating feeling, not having anything come in except for bloody coins. Yep. Um, so I think the progress bar softens that blow because that's what threshold used to be. It used to be, oh, you didn't win this week. Nah, you got a little threshold. Yep. Yep. Okay. Here's an idea. Everyone's got, everyone's got their ideas. Yep. What if they did this, Simon? Would you would you still go and buy some rare cards if, let's just say, I don't know, they'll probably still keep the cap modes because, again, it just creates a bit of a level playing field. If they, say, had a cap 240 competition where if you finished in the top 100, you won good cash prizes and obviously good rewards, so there's a carrot to really try and do well, but then they do what they've been doing, which is with the limited 270 reward boxes where you still have to do pretty well, but they reward reward boxes out to a much deeper part of the prize pool. So let's say if you score like 280 or above, you will, 280 points around that should get you into the reward boxes. Now the reward box could have some ETH in it. It could have a card in it. It could have a star card in it. It could have some boosts. It could have coins. So it's kind of like this random thing where you're still being rewarded for doing well, but you're not, you know, you're still getting something if you don't win. But, you know, it's not. It's also not just giving ETH away to absolutely everyone. Would you be in, Would you still be tempted to play if you had the chance to win one of those five different rewards coming out of a reward box? Look, I think of it like this, Elster. You know, you're playing Mario Kart, you're Luigi on your wild wing, you've had a pretty rough, you know, first two laps out of three. But you're not you're not the worst. You're not in twelfth, you don't need a rocket, you don't need a miracle. You're sitting around sixth or seventh, and you're getting those little glowy little boxes, right? You've got good aim, you go straight through one, and you get the you know the reward and it spins mm-hmm. over. Is it gonna be a green shell, you know, you're hoping for three small mushrooms. That's the equivalent of a star. 
Um, I'm assuming coins are the equivalent of one banana peel. I love Mario Kart. So does the world. The J-League audience would also love it going off stereotypes. So I'm all for the Racist. reward boxes. I reckon you're not the best of the best, but you still get something and you add a little element of fun. I mean, God, we love a, a lunch wheel. So mm. reward boxes right up my alley. Yeah, I think I think we've solved it. So you're still in that way. If they do implement that kind of thing, you're still incentivized to go out and buy better players because the the really good guaranteed rewards are at the top of the prize pools. So it's like, you know, if you come 4,000th and you open a reward box and you've got a 0.38% chance of winning $50 cash, you can you can take that chance if you want to just be mediocre. But if you want to get guaranteed cash, buy some good cards and compete and really try and get up the leaderboard. Um, and potentially if they distribute the cash well enough. I have a very pressing point before I forget. I'm sorry to rudely interrupt. Could the reward boxes be on the progress bar? And as you progress, you can either take your chances on a reward box or hope to hit past the threshold or whatever you need at the amount of points scored for the four weeks. That could be an option too. Again, like, uh, again, I mean, it's remarkable how much we're talking about this after we said we weren't going to talk about it. Sure about that? But Sorry. it's a good idea. Like, I've, it, I think I haven't heard anyone talk about progress bar during all of this. I don't think I've heard too many people talk about reward boxes. There's been people that have said, like, um, you could like kind of gamble on on different cash rewards. So you'd be like, I think I'm going to hit 320 this week and you would get $75. If you don't, you get nothing. That would cut out the amount of thresholds they're going to have to pay out. Um, I've heard people talk about divisions where you, you try and get up divisions and play higher levels for better prizes. I, that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Um, but yeah, I think the progress bar could be a way to kind of get people like yourself to be, you know, to progress. Because at the end of the day, someone like you shouldn't be able to come in and put $300 in and then just like coast off that for your life. You should be wanting yeah. to put more money in. And I think part of the thing that kind of has lost a lot of people recently is that people realize that it's just not worth, like you came 24th or whatever and all, it was the, your best week ever. And you got like just you just got a shit reward. So they need to fix rewards and they also need to make the rewards more valuable. So if you actually do pull a tier one or a tier two, you go back to what it was eight months ago where you're like I remember opening a reward in front of my dad and being like, I just run a it was like a tier one and it was like I just want a like a card that's worth seven hundred and fifty dollars. Like I just want seven hundred and fifty dollars. That's pretty amazing. Now dad, you proud of me, Dad. And that was pretty normal for a yeah. while there. Um and that has that has gone, and I do believe it's because people aren't incentivized to have the best players anymore. Or if they do have the best players, it's too hard to win. So, yeah. 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 There you go. I mean, look at us, Alistair. I mean, it's it sort of sums us up as a podcast, I guess. It's criminal the fact that there are so many amazing, wonderful, articulate people in the Surreal community who take time, they think about things, they put pen to paper, they record a nice, well-explained thought about research podcasts Couple and we just come on you know i'm in a i'm in a cupboard and we're just we're coming up with ideas on the spot throwing it onto a camera so it's on the internet forever pretending like we know the solutions mm -hmm. we don't know the solutions i think that is key i'm interested to see how it all goes i hope that they 
The thing that I think people are really focusing on with Nicholas's tweets was the stars will be stars again. And I'll be really disappointed if that just means they're going to just limit the star pool because they already did that and then they re- they made it bigger again. They, they fucked their own rule there. So if they're just going, oh, we're going back to that again, it's like, well, you already promised that and you broke it. So that's what everyone's speculating on. It's purely just that. So it is just speculation. I'm interested to see how it goes. But in the meantime, this is your opportunity, Simon. Yep. As we said last week, to put your dick in. No more paper hands, bitch boys. And just trust the team, trust the process, and buy some rare cards and play for the threshold for as long as it may exist. But you've got to have faith that if they take it away, there'll be something else for you to play for. Do you have faith? You gotta have faith, Prime. Or have you lost faith, I have faith in the last week? I think, to be honest, mate, this is one of the few times where I have faith in Soraya. Like, you know, everyone's freaking out and complaining. I've never been more relaxed. You know, <laughs> it's, they'll work it out. It'll be fine. I love it. Just, I love it. Yeah. That's the spirit. Be that's sweet. the attitude we want. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about what we came here to talk about. We actually had like a real purpose for this episode and it's been absolutely derailed. But let's forget that all the conversations that people have been having have been happening. And let's talk about you buying some cards. Now, we tried the strategy where I don't have any input at all. How's that been going for you? Um, Started off hot. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Um, yeah. Not great, though, I'd say. <laughs> now, I think I've found a happy medium for us, Simon. I'm not going to recommend any players for you. We're not going to go scouting on this. I'm just going to try and give you some general guidelines and rules around how you can pick players that are both good for if you're picking a threshold team and also good for, like, just generally creating a gallery that's a bit surreal proof So a gallery where it doesn't matter what changes they make, you're not going to be just completely shafted. Because I think you could very easily right now go out and buy a second division threshold team, which I have done recently, and they could make some changes and you could be absolutely screwed. Because if star players are star players, second division players are going to lose value. So I might be absolutely screwed there. So I'm, I'm hoping that this is kind of like a little bit of a general guidebook for anyone, including yourself, who's thinking of like stepping into rares in, in particular. Um you know, and I think threshold, as as far as everything stands right now, that's the best entry point is to play for the threshold. So, sure about that? So we'll we'll try and put together a bit of a squad uh, for that. How's that sound? Sounds good. You pumped? Sounds good. I'm pumped. I'm psyched. Sweet. Um. Yeah. Okay. So these are the kind of rules that I've put in place around when you're coming up with players to put in your squad. The first one is, and these have all been kind of taken from other people. <laughs> like they're the, only, they're the rules that I kind of use to look at when I scout, but it's come from listening to other people, standing on the shoulders of giants, all that stuff. So don't anyone yeah. get any false ideas that I'm a genius. You're a preacher. You're using the new and old Testament, you know, as That's your right. gospel. So, and so yeah, I am, but a simple disciple. Translating the word of God from up high. Okay. Um, all right. 
first rule, first commandment. No, we've already had commandments. First rule, they've got to play every game or at least be very close to playing every game. That's pretty self-explanatory. Like, so the best way to do that for anyone out there who's wondering, I'm going to share my screen. We're going to do a bit of like practical, practical effects here. Okay. So the way that I look for players who play close to every game is I use the scout functionality on so rare data. I go to the player and card finder. And then what I do is, and I mean, we'll go through some other things to add into this filter system um, later on. Um, but one of the things you can do is go to scores. You can click on say L15 and you can change the percentage of games that they start for their team. Now, obviously you're gonna have games they miss due to suspensions or injury or that kind of thing. Um, but usually what I do is I like to set this at about 70%. So that means that over the last 15 games, they've started at least 70% of their games. Um, that just means that, you know, you know, when they're bound to have babies, they're going to have ingrown toenails, the freak incidents, hmm. you know, takes that into consideration. The freak incidents of having a baby. Whose goddamn white baby is that? <laughs> Fuck, I've had a baby. He's pretty oh my freakish. God. Um, so yeah, so you can see here, like, you know, obviously we're going to narrow this down quite a lot more, but you can tell these are players that are, you know, they're playing all the time. So they're safe bets, especially if you're playing 240 and you're coming in with a limited budget, you don't want someone who's going to just, you know, be benched randomly for you. You want those guys who are stalwarts of the team. Okay. Next rule. Now, again, we'll focus on the cap 240 rules first. Then we'll talk about more general, like so rare proofing of the gallery. I believe that the ideal structure for a Cap 240 team, and shout-outs to Orange Fly for the kind of inspiration on this one, I believe that you should have two kind of up-and-down decision-makers, decision decisive getters. What I try and look for when I'm looking at um, my team structure for 240 is I want at least two players in the team that have a low L15 cap but they regularly get decisives. So usually they, you know, it doesn't have to be a forward, but usually forwards fit this bill really well. Um, so the way that I find these players is, well, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Um, one of them is just to basically look at, okay, we're we still sharing. Yep. You can look at their average and you can set, you can set a limit of say 45 points and you probably want to go forwards and mids. So you can go mid forward. Okay, because what you want to try and find is those players where, because if you've got a forward that scores every single game, their cap's going to be too high, but you want those players that are most regularly scoring decisives but aren't necessarily doing it all the time. So like this guy here, Boyan Miofsky, I don't know anything about him. He's got a low L15 but a high L5, which tells me that he's probably like hit a bit of form recently but generally he's very up and down. So yeah, you can see there, he's your classic forward of like, he's either 35 or 60. For cap 240, that's brilliant because if you get a couple of players that hit a decisive in a cap 240 lineup, you'll hit the threshold. Like you don't necessarily need to smash it every single weekend. Um, and obviously if they don't score, then whatever, you move on to the next one. But what this allows you to do is take up two spots of your team with players with low caps that have a high chance of scoring decisives. A mistake that I see a lot of people make is they get low cap defenders and mids 
And if you think about a defender, they're not scoring decisives all that regularly. They might get a clearance off the line. You might get the occasional, you know, um, uh, left back that takes corners or something like that. But usually defenders don't have as much opportunity to score decisives as forwards do. So if you've got a defender with a cap of 43, it probably just means that he's shit and he's going to get you 43 more often than not. Whereas a striker with a cap of 43 is, you know, they're probably shit, but they will score much more regularly than a, a centre-back would, if that makes sense. Yep. Groundbreaking stuff there. I'll still strike a scoring more often than a centre-back. You'd be surprised. I, I think a lot of people go out there to try and, like, pick up players for cap 240 and they and they look at getting just players with, like, low caps across the board. My ideal kind of construction of a team would be two low-cap, decisive-capable players and then spend your cap on a more consistent, high-cap defender and midfielder so you can rely on them so that when you do get the goals, you're going to hit threshold. Whereas if you've got a forward, a mid, a mid, and a defender, and the defender's just a 40 average player and he gets a 40, then you really need all of your attacking players to get decisives. So the way I kind of look at it is if you've got someone who's going to rack out 55 to 60 for you every week, that's that part of it sorted. And then you just hope that your forwards get a decisive. You don't want to be relying on your defender to score a goal in order to hit threshold. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, consistency in your kind of anchor positions of defender and midfielder and then get some forwards in. Another way, another tip that I like to do is, depending on what league you're looking at, let's say you're looking at uh, the Eredivisie. If you were to click on this player here and click on the word Eredivisie, it'll take you to the Eredivisie stats. So you can look at the stats of all players in the Eredivisie Something I like to do is say, let's say looking at forwards. Okay, I like to look at who takes penalty kicks for their team, who's a forward that might take free kicks or corners. These are your players that are going to have a pretty good chance of scoring a decisive, even if it's just a penalty. Now, obviously, you're going to have players in here that have extremely high caps. They're going to like Bergwijn, they're expensive. You know, you, you skip past them. But if you click through each of these, you might find a player... Here we go. Here's one. Michel Kramer from Warwick. He's 35. He's cheap as hell. He's got a low L15. He plays every single game. I've just totally lucked out on this, by the way. And he takes penalties for Warwick. So whilst he's not great and he's not going to score goals all the time, all they need to do is get a penalty and he'll score a goal. So that, for yeah. me, is like a perfect threshold forward right there is Kramer. Okay. So, um, goalkeeper is a tough one, obviously. For Cap 240, it's it's the biggest expense you're going to put out. Really, I mean, there's nothing groundbreaking here. Try and find a keeper that's got good AA. Um, and that way, even if they lose or if they concede, they still might score pretty well for you. You don't really want to spend big on someone at a strong team um, because if they keep a clean sheet, they're going to get 60. And if they don't, they're going to get 30. So you want that, that player where you're just really banking on that 50 or 55 kind of score from them because they make a lot of saves. Obviously, you're going to have the odd game where they concede three, but that'll keep their cap low. So all the Stein Van Gassel fans out there, I'm with you. Perfect tap cap 240 goalkeeper. No. 
His stock's just absolutely gone through the roof <laughs> at the release of this podcast. <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. Um, okay, so that's kind of like focusing on 240. Again, I, I don't think Cap 240 is going to go away. The rewards might change, but Cap 240 will still be a game mode that people will play, and it will still be a good entry mode for people. So that's kind of my ideal roster construction for that. Again, nothing groundbreaking there. Um, now, these are kind of, I guess, more general tips for how to choose players where I think you just, just from a general strategic standpoint, you're going to be set up a lot better than doing what I have done in the past and what you've done in the past, which is just buying scattergun players from different leagues, from different teams, you know, no real kind of consistency to it. So a lot of people have already suggested this as well, but choose a league that you know well. Uh, try and keep the players to that same league so you know they're all playing at one time. That way you don't have to go through the pain of being like, oh, shit, I need a defender for for next week and, you know, the Eredivisie is not playing, so now I'm fucked. You want to make sure that they're all playing at the same time. Now... I recently was kind of dabbling in buying some Turkish players because I was like, they play heaps over the New Year break. They're cheap, good 240 options in there. I sold them, luckily, before kind of the chaos that has been the last few weeks of the Turkish league because, like, players are not playing because they haven't been paid. There's teams that are, like, folding, so they're kicking all their players out. There's games being cancelled. Like, it's an absolute nightmare. And on top of all that... There's no information on the Turkish League. You cannot, it's just impossible to find any information. You type in their name and all of a sudden there's like 70 dudes with the same name who are just posting bollocks on Twitter. So I think I would recommend picking a league where there's lots of information about it. MLS is a great one. You know, any of the kind of champ Euro leagues, obviously they're more expensive, but you can actually follow what's going on. You can look at type in a player's name and actually find some information about them. Even better than that, and this is something that has kind of fallen off since Play Sharper has been around. People love Play Sharper because you can just check the predicted lineups. You can whinge about them when they didn't play. You can be like, God damn you, Play Sharper, you did me dirty. I think we need to go back to paying for Patreons. Find someone who's an expert in a particular league. Give them 12 bucks a month. And they'll tell you who's in, who's out, who's expected to start, what's been going on at training. They'll tell you players to look out for. Like, I think that's such an underrated thing that people aren't taking advantage of in Sorare is, is the Patreon service. Like, I've I've been a Patreon of, I think, some of the Argentina guys, some of the Brazil guys. So Rare Japan was great. And it's just like, it does give you so much more of an edge. Obviously, the main thing people want is just lineup prediction. But if you can find out like, oh, the you know, the this player's had a bit of an argument with the coach at training, like keep an eye on him, or this young guy has come up from the academy and he looks pretty good, all of a sudden you can start to pick up some players that are actually kind of undervalued because you're getting that inside word. So one hundred percent if you're going into rares particularly choose a league, find the guy that's the expert and pay for their Patreon. I mean, I never paid for it, but your Patreon to Surreal Japan saved me quite a lot of money and a massive headache. God damn it.
And we're back. Okay. Um, where was I? Yep. Subscribe to some Patreons. I think that'll kind of tie in nicely to what um, Laird was talking about with Surfula, Surfula um, on the podcast the other day. You know, I think he's done very well because he kind of understands where which players are coming through the system and he buys these players cheap and then they become really good players and he makes money that way. And I think there is still potential for people to make money through Soraya by buying some of these players that aren't yet kind of breaking through. Um, so a Patreon is a good way to kind of identify some of those targets and you pick them up for free, or not for free, for cheap. And, you know, they might not become something, but if they do, that can be a really good way to get some ROI. Now, I think in general, future-proofing your gallery, I think it's the key is, again, keep it tight. Try and stick to a league that you know and enjoy. Like, I think for you, even though we... You know, we're not necessarily saying you should buy MLS players, but the MLS is a league where there's podcasts you can listen to. It's on, we can watch it during the day. We know the players pretty well. That could be a really good way for you to like structure your gallery just because you will have an edge purely just through knowing the league and being able to consume content to do with the league. And there's information out there about the players, the teams, the availabilities, all that kind of thing. So finding a league that you understand and know. Turkish League being an example of one that you don't, MLS being an example of a league that you do. Uh, I think that's always a really good um, kind of starting point. And then in terms of the like... The first person I will buy... The first yeah. person that I'm going to buy is a Georgi Mihalovic. Brilliant. There you go. first person it. I'm going to buy is a Georgi Mihalovic because he's got a low AA, a low L15, and he's going to crush it at Colorado. Like okay. immediately was like, ding! You should buy that before this podcast go out and then his price goes to the moon. We're taking Dogecoin to the moon. Okay, so... We're so influential. We've talked about... We're so influential. Um, we've talked about kind of like structuring your team, which leagues to look at, how to kind of get a bit of an edge. Now, in terms of the actual players you choose... We all know my tips about like main men. You know, if you can find a defender that takes sets, if you can find a striker or anyone that takes sets or who is the captain or is the main man for their team, put them on your list. But I think more generally, it's good to kind of, and this is where it ties into knowing the league well. If you know the player and you kind of know what their career trajectory will be, that will help you kind of make sure you're not being screwed by bad transfers or anything like that. So like they're in the past, but isn't. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Here we are again. Um, so I was just talking about the, yeah. So I think in general, find a league that you know, well, if you can find a guy that has a good Patreon for that league, I think that, puts you in the best position to just make sure you're really being efficient and not finding yourself in those situations where you're having to buy players for random game weeks. Now, before we internet cut out, I was talking about in how you actually find players that you like. So obviously we already know my rules around main men. If you can find a guy that takes sets, you know, as long as he's a good player, plays for a good team or plays for at least a decent team, you're on, you're on a winner. Um, but I think something that people don't necessarily take into account so much is like, what is the projected next step for that player's career? 
Now, obviously, the worst thing that can happen to you on Sorare is having a player get a move that kills their utility. You know, the ball had some young up-and-coming MLS superstar who's gone to play in the Bundesliga and has just sucked. I'm, you know, I had a Mike Tresor card for many years playing at Genk. He was one of my favorite cards. He's moved to Burnley. He's been trash since then. So you want to avoid that if you can. So when I think about the players that I'm buying, I try and think of like what what can I foresee as being their logical next step. Now, one one kind of player that I think you should try and avoid is players who previously were a big name, previously were hitting the heights, playing for the big clubs, smashing it, and have since kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. You know, you're, uh, you know, Memphis Depay is a great example of a player that I think has Saudi written all over him. Um, you know, uh, who's that guy that is playing at Nottingham at the moment? Oh, name? Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard. These kind of players that have like been superstars but have since dropped off, they are just perfect Saudi targets because the Saudi league don't care about whether you're good. They just want a name. So they're not necessarily going to pick up the player who's really top quality. They're just going to pick up the guy that people know. So if you've got a player that's currently playing and fits that bill, you might be in for some bad Saudi news. Um, On the flip side of that, young players, you know, we've already talked briefly about the MLS. Young players in the MLS will probably get a move to a European club at some point and they're just going to be shit from a Sarare point of view. So you do want to kind of avoid that. If you are going to buy young players, I would recommend buying them from clubs where they have a bit of a history of kind of nurturing real talent. So like Borussia Dortmund, Brighton are a good club for that. Um, You know, River Plate, those kind of teams, you can probably take a bit more of a punt on some young players and be a bit more comfortable in fact that they might be able to take that step up when they do move overseas. Yeah, sorry. Yep. You didn't cut out this yeah. time. I just thought you were going to keep going. <laughs> um, and then I guess, you know, those are the kind of players you want to avoid. In terms of players you want to look for, you can still go for those kind of like old, older players who are still performing well. But think about like, where you see them going. So like Tony Cruz is a good example of a player who we know he's moving on from Real Madrid at the end of the year. Whether he's got any reason, I mean, obviously money can change everything, but you have to think that Cruz is one of those players where he's looking for just to go back to that kind of boyhood club in Germany, go back and have the fairy tale ending, smash it in the Bundesliga for a couple more years. You know, you could take a bit of a punt on someone like that and, and do a bit, you know, pick up some world-class value. Um, but I think really what you want to try and look for is those players where they don't really have a move in them. Carlos Heel, I'm not that he's necessarily a good cap 240 player, but he's probably just going to keep playing in the MLS, you know. He's he's not going to go to, back to the Premier League and give that another go. You know, there's plenty of players in the J League that are just set. They're just never going to leave Japan. They've got families. They play in that team. They're the captain. They just, they've just They've had their opportunity or they've had their big move and they've come back and they just settled in. Those are the kind of players you really want to look for. Failing that, try and buy players that are already playing at the highest league. If you can pick up a good value Premier League player, good value La Liga player, where the only way they can go is down, by all means, that's a great pickup for you if you're starting out with a rare gallery. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the 
you picked up a, a Marco Royce, Royce mm-hmm. recently. Yep. Is that similar train of thought to the Cruz? Because I think Tony Cruz, to be honest, I don't see him going back to Bundesliga. I feel like he's achieved everything. He's played longer than he was initially going to play. I could definitely mm. sort of see him finishing up, but he might retire. Yeah, yeah, Marco's probably a bit different, I reckon. Yeah. But that's that's and that's that's a good that's a, that's the thought process you need to have. Like, what do I think their next step could be? You know, are they going to make a step up in quality or a step down, or are they going to retire? You know, you got to think about those things. Marco Royce is one that I picked up purely just because he's one of my favorite players ever. He's he brings back very fond memories of playing FIFA 14 many years ago. Um, that was more of a punt. He's very cheap, and I was like, look, he still scores pretty well, and if he gets a move somewhere within the Bundesliga or if he goes to the MLS for a year or so, you know, then it's all a bonus. So I'm more in a position where I can just take punts on players. For example, picked up a Jack Price today for the um, low, low price of $10, which is quite hilarious. <laughs> Damn. Here we go again. $10. I love Jack Price. He's given me so many good memories over the years. If he goes back and plays in the championship, I'm laughing. If he doesn't, it's 10 bucks, you know? But how many chances are you going to give Jack Price? You had him, you <laughs> sold him, you got him back, you got injured, you sold him, you got him back, you got injured again, you got him back again. I mean, I just $10. think of like, come on, man. those moments it's last a year where I was at this point. about to pull the trigger on buying his Super Rare and then he, he got injured, so... Yeah, Jack Price will always have a special place in my heart. But I, I'm in more of a position where I can take some punts on players. Um, but I think for someone like yourself, yeah, try and find those players where they're just settled and they just perform well in the league that they're in. You can't foresee them making any crazy moves. You know, Carlos Hill versus Emmanuel Reynoso, one of them might go to jail, you know. You want fucker? You want some? Huh? Oh! Carlos Hill's the safer bet every day of the week. Yeah. Okay. So don't pick up players with impending um, law Criminal enforcement charges. coming on them. Yeah. Yeah. You know how many gotcha. times I've almost bought a Quincy Promes? <laughs> the man's he like wanted well. in seventeen countries around the world, uh, and yeah. yet he still just continues to play in Russia. Wild. Great L fifteen must be said. <laughs> All right, look, well, I've, I've rambled on enough. Um, again, no one should really be taking advice from me, but these are kind of just, I guess, guidelines that I've picked up from listening to other people who know and play the game better than me. So to recap that, if you're playing 240, make sure you've got some goal scorers or some decisive getters uh, that have low caps but still have a good chance of hitting decisives. Spend your cap on more consistent anchor players, which is, you know, your, your mids and your defenders, uh, pick up a goalkeeper that has good AA. More generally, when you're, buying, when you're buying your first kind of rare cards, I think try and stick to a league. Invest in a Patreon if there's a good one out there. Do spend some money on buying some up-and-coming players, especially if you find them recommended through the Patreons, because some of the best financial rewards I've had from Sorare have been from buying just players with a bit of talent that have been recommended to me through a Patreon and have then kicked off and become a, become something, especially in the Super Airs. Like uh, last year I bought a Dylan Barrero when he was at Atletico Mineiro, wasn't playing. Someone had recommended him to me, got a move to New England, started smashing it, and I sold him for like a massive price. So Yeah, nice one, mate. Yeah. That if you if you've got a bit of spare 
cash outside of your main teams. I think trying to buy some of those either young up-and-comers or players that you think could get a move. Um, you know, a lot of keepers who are kind of sitting down the pecking order, often those can be good investments. I think it's always good trying to find those little edges if you can. Um, and then when you like picking players themselves, get your main man, focus on players that are really set and kind of settled in their league and team. Um, if you're going to, you know, try those punty players, make sure you kind of forecast what their next move could be. Uh, and then I think, you know, ultimately, if you can choose a league where you can actually watch the players and enjoy the league, you'll probably have a bit of a better time and you'll, you'll make better decisions. What the fuck? Sorry, I just missed that last bit, but great recap. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this episode I'm having, I'm, is a nightmare. I'm I'm having a hard time on Surair, right? Surair hasn't been easy. It's been quite difficult, but I don't think anything compares to us trying to get through this bloody episode. Oh. All right. This episode will be up. forever known as the most chaotic nightmare of an episode. This has not been fun to record. I hate this podcast now. I don't think I'll ever yeah. record one again. Um, yeah, go I fuck. Yeah, go fuck. Go fuck. Let's wrap it up, Elster, um, before I drop out again. Um Okay, so zig when people zag. It's it's kind of our mantra. Yep. Take the advice, dip the toe into two forty. Nicholas's cryptic tweets. Let's not let them get to our head. Everything is cool, calm, and collected, right? Yeah, but look, buy with cap two forty in mind, and if, if the threshold stays and you can just farm the threshold, you're winning. But yep. buy players that if that gets taken away, you're not going to just be left holding your dick at the trough. Okay. So I think, yeah, I'll be interested to see what you come back with. I'll be interested to see next week which players you choose. I'm not going to have any say. I've, I've, I've given you all I can give. Um, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be great to have you back in the rares. I, I think you'll enjoy having a little bit more skin in the game. I think it does give you that just a bit more feeling with Sarah, so I think you'll enjoy it. Now, speaking of feeling... Again, before we go, yeah, lunch wheel. Are we back? Are we back, baby. Are we spinning that bitch once more? I'm hungry. You know, it's been a couple of weeks. I've been able to digest my steak and eggs um, that I so luckily got to bring home with me. Um, do you have a matchup in mind, Elster, or are we putting no. it out to the community? What's the let's what's put the it out to here? the community now? I was also thinking that potentially we could. We don't necessarily have to have it all riding on one game. If you wanted to, we could pick a couple of games over the weekend and do like a bit of a like aggregate combined an aggregate. Um, if you wanted to, just so you're not like completely relying on what it's not so much of a gamble. A little bit mate, more skill mate, involved. You're the one that's lost like three in a row. You're the one that's <laughs> trying to pivot and change the rules, not me. Uh, it's up to you. Maybe we'll we'll let the community decide. But football is back this weekend. It only makes sense that we get the lunch bill lunch wheel rolling again. Um, okay, look, let's wrap it up before we kill each other. It's been horrible. See you next week.